Hey there, thanks for joining us for Market Sense. I'm Jim Armstrong with Fidelity. Last week, the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates by a quarter point as expected. So we're wondering, could the era of big rate increases finally be ending? February is also Black History Month, a great time to reflect and honor the many contributions of people in that community throughout history. So today we're going to be devoting a portion of our show to discuss some key financial topics that might be top of mind for people in the Black community and beyond. To help give us the market's big picture today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Naveen Malwal, Fidelity's Institutional Portfolio Manager, and to get some financial insight about the unique financial needs for people of color, we're going to talk with Randell Lenore, Vice President and Branch Leader at Fidelity. Thank you both for, for taking time out of your schedules to be with us today. It's so great to be here, Jim. Good to see you. Same here. Good to be here. It is uh, Tuesday, the 7th of February, and Naveen, as I mentioned, let's maybe start with you for a kind of high-level look at what's happening in the markets and, and the economy. Uh, last week's interest rate increase from the Federal Reserve, as I mentioned, was smaller compared with uh, several of its predecessors most recently. We have seen inflation slowing down a bit, the stock market kind of making up some of the ground it lost last year. Uh, is it is it too optimistic to, to say that the Fed has achieved the, the so-called soft landing that it was that was seeking? Yeah, the soft landing, Jim, right? The dream scenario where inflation comes down, but there's no recession here in the U.S. Right. We feel it's too soon to say that that's a mission accomplished. But I will agree with you that things are starting to feel better out there. So to your point, the Fed has raised interest rates by a smaller amount. They're talking about maybe just having to raise a little bit more, but it sounds like they're nearing the end of their rate hike plans. And on top of that, think about the U.S. economy. Inflation's ticking lower unemployment is still really low. So a strong job market, despite some news headlines around layoffs. And we've seen stocks stage a rally over the last few months here in the US. But this is also a global phenomenon. So inflation is coming down around the world and that has helped bond markets here in the US and globally. And in the international space, Europe is looking at maybe a bleak winter with high energy prices causing maybe economic slowdown or recession. Instead, winter has been mild. And they've been able to get by just fine without having a crisis developed there. So that's helped those stocks gain in value. In fact, outpacing U.S. stocks since September of last year. Then even over in China, they have now opened up their economy after COVID-19. And you know that, that matters because it's the second biggest economy in the world. So when they reopen and people get out there and start spending money again, that can be good news, not just for their economy, but also their trading partners in emerging markets, Europe and here in the US. What what can you say about the, the chart that's on screen right now? Help us understand what, uh, what to take from that, if you could. So this is a wonderful takeaway of just how strong things have been over the last few months. You can see in the middle, international stocks having a stupendous run, but this is just all from September 30th. Looking at these numbers, if I saw that, these numbers for stocks and bonds for a full year, yeah. that would be an exceptional year for investors. What's also striking about this to me is a lot of the news headlines back out there weren't all that positive and weren't that constructive. So this is good evidence of that fact that markets can surprise us by rallying when we least expect them to. Let, let me push the boundaries of optimism if I can, Naveen. What, what would you say to those who say, well, it looks like the worst is behind us. We're good to go. Oh, Jim, I, I'd love for that to be true. <laughs> I think we'll just have to wait and see. We have a research team here at Fidelity, the Asset Allocation Research Team, and they closely follow the U.S. economy and other major economies around the world. Their latest point of view 
is while things are still feeling pretty good, we have a slow expansion here in the U.S., it is likely the U.S. might experience what they think will be a mild recession in this year. Now, it could be worse than that, but they feel there's a chance it might be mild because of things like a strong job market. So we may not see as many layoffs as we typically do in a recession. On top of that, most households and businesses, even state governments, have more money set aside than they did before the pandemic. So that can help the economy weather any kind of storm. But most importantly for investors, some people, sometimes people ask me, hey, should I get out of the, the market or get out of the way before a recession? We'll have to see. Uh, recessions come in different sizes. Sometimes the volatility in the markets has not been that drastic. But most importantly, following a recession, the stock market historically has delivered exceptionally strong performance. If I go back to 2020, this is one example of this. The recession starts in February of that year because of the pandemic, and the recession ended in April, but markets actually bottomed in March of that year. And from March 23rd of 2020 through the end of that year, the S&P 500 gained nearly 70%, 70% in returns. So that's the kind of rally that I think investors risk missing out on by getting overly caught up in the near-term noise and headlines out there. Thank you for the reminder there. I think a lot of us certainly remember the, the whiplash, for lack of a better word, of, of that quick turnaround there. So thanks for reminding us that that's certainly a possibility. Hey, Rendell, we'd love to bring you into the conversation now, as we mentioned, speaking specifically in recognition of Black History Month this month. We'd love to dive into some of the biggest financial issues that people in the Black community are facing. And I think a good way to start maybe is for you to share some of the top questions that you and your team have heard over the years from, from traditionally underserved communities, right? When it comes to, to planning or saving or investing, what's top of mind? Yeah, this is such an important topic and I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk about it. So the black community has tremendous spending power here in the United States, the spending power being 1.7 trillion, 1.7 trillion in annual spending, right? But we all know there's a well-known wealth gap with the Black community. Um, black people earn less than $1 compared to their white counterparts. And then there are all these structural problems that exist um, and make it difficult and, and present obstacles for people in the Black community to, to generate wealth, although that spending power is so tremendous. And some of these structural problems come up in, in some of our biggest ways to generate wealth, which is like, for example, buying a home, right? How do I approach buying a home? What resources do I have to do it? Um, surveys, especially with young Black people, are talking about the access to financial role models. Who can I model my life after? Who can I ask for advice and, and, and practice wealth management? If that's what I, where I'm trying to go to. That's why I love the format that we're engaging on today and different other digital formats that give us access, but there's a, a desire for more. It's also a desire for education on savings, education on handling debt and education on investing. And black women in particular have some unique needs. Um, black women more than ever are making the key financial decisions in the households, um, heads of households, even the head of household of one like myself and and all of these are high stakes decisions. And when you think about um, black women overall in the United States, something cool that all um, my black girls out there are doing is like one, I think, uh, what's the detail? 1.5 million businesses 
in the United States, generating $42 billion in annual sales. So there's so much possibility and so much potential out there to generate wealth for Black women. Um, but the, the truth is, Black women tend to have more student debt. So like, how do you handle um, balancing wealth creation and, and managing your debt? And then you also have the structural problem that Black women tend to make more than even other women in other groups as well. Lots more to dig into there for sure. And I think, you know, before I ask you the next question, just point out that, of course, while we're focusing on the Black community today, a lot of what we're talking about, we think, expands to all communities, specifically when it comes to where we put our money. Uh, it's a question uh, and when, when you're thinking about budgeting and planning that is that is broadly applicable. So what can you tell us about that? So this is one of my favorite things to talk about with everybody, to your point, because when you think about your financial life, there are so many different elements and so many different priorities to balance. Like you have to make sure that you're handling your essential spending and saving and saving for retirement and, and making sure that you're handling debt. And how do you do all of that at the same time? How do you prioritize what you do first? So we suggest this model that's on the screen 50, 15, and five. And I'll break down real quick what these different models mean. And I'll, before I get into it, I'll say that this is aspirational for some people, but it's a sure. great model to think about when you're trying to build wealth and when you're trying to build legacy, which are huge topics when I talk to our Black clients. So 50% essential expenses. We recommend that no more than 50% of your take-home pay goes to essential expenses, like a mortgage or rent. Um, like handling food, utilities, groceries, um, monthly debt payments, like a car payment. Um, it's good to target no more than 50% of your take-home income here. And then when you think about the next step, it's about retirement. 15% um, of your retirement, and this is your pre-tax income. This includes also whatever your employer matches, if you're lucky enough to work someplace where your employer matches. So the 15% includes all of that, and you should aim for 15% um, in your retirement savings for the retired future you. 56% um, of Black people are not yet taking advantage of their workplace plans in this way. And I just mentioned a lot of structural things that happen that prevent that from occurring. But even if you can start with 1%, you know, the goal is to get to 15% because this is a huge opportunity and I'll also mention that this is a huge opportunity to consider first when you're thinking about generation, generating a legacy of wealth. There's nothing better you can do for your family than to make sure that you can retire securely and that they have the space and time um, to generate wealth for themselves and their families to move forward. So retirement savings is not just important for you, it's important for your family. And then lastly, we have 5% um, short-term savings. So that stash of 5% of your take home cash, put it into like a savings account, a checking account or high yield savings account. And this is to handle unexpected expenses. Like you have a healthcare expense or you drop your phone and you have to fix the screen or you need a new roof. There's nothing worse than having to dip into debt to handle that. It holds you back from wealth building or liquidating something that's intended to be a long-term instrument like your, your 401k or some of those long-term investments. So it's good to start to build a cushion for yourself so that your, retire, your retirement and all of your wealth building strategies have some room for liftoff. 
super well said. There's there's nothing worse than having to dip into the uh, the reserves that you don't have for expenses that are mandatory, right? I, I yeah, want yeah. to ask you to talk a little bit more uh, about something you've mentioned a couple of times, this idea of generating wealth for generations, building it, leaving a legacy to those who follow. I think that can be a goal for a lot of people, but as you mentioned, because of systemic long-term problems and disadvantages for underrepresented communities, that's been, if not impossible, very hard, right? But I, I think importantly, we don't want to say give up. It's what do you say to somebody who says, look, the, I, the system's really hard. How do I do this thing so that my kids and my grandkids, as well as me, uh, can be provided for? So customarily, my my personal experience, like maybe if my family um, legacy or like the, the inheritance from my grandparents and so on and so forth wasn't financial, it certainly was the message of how important college is, how important education is, it's a big deal. I grew up in a household with two doctorate holders. Uh, so it's very, very important and it's very, very serious in the black community, I'd say in, in general. So with college being a big deal, um, when you look at historically black colleges and universities, especially 40% of the students our first generation uh, college students. So this is such a really exciting thing to see happening. And when you think about higher education, you think about a path to a good career, you think about a path to stability and resources and people and opportunities that can help put your life in a, a different direction. Um, and <laughs> it costs a lot of money, right? Every year it gets more expensive. It's like, one of those places where inflation has had a bigger impact, like healthcare and education just goes up and up and up. So if you happen to be in a position where you have extra money um, or, and you're thinking about legacy building uh, for, for the next generation or the generation after, um, you should consider college education as a place to, to contribute. And um, you can consider funding an educational account like a 529. Now, a 529 college savings plan offers this appealing combination of tax advantages and the ability to control um, different elements and a lot of flexibility. And it has minimal impact on the student's availability uh, for, for student loans, uh, student aid, right? Things that help you get through college. Um, and the contributions that you make to a 529 are after tax, but any earnings that you have on the investments in the 529 when they're taken out for qualified education expenses are tax-free, which is huge, which is huge. And this can be, it's not just for college, it could be extended to, let's say you have a kid that you wanna send to a school that requires tuition uh, for educate, like elementary, middle, or high school. You can use up to 10,000 of that money for tuition expenses, which is great at access to education and support in the future. And then also up to 10,000 of that money could be used to pay back <laughs> your student loans, depending on the situation. And we all know also how big tax management is for wealth planning and wealth management. So while the 529 doesn't offer any federal deductions, there are some states, if you have a 529 in that state that offer um, state level deductions or credits and things to manage. So you might have some benefits to take advantage of there that can also help in your own wealth creation as you help the next generation. So I encourage you to look into that if that lines up with your goals. One more question for you here to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier. 
home ownership, right? A key way for many, many families for generations to, to, to accumulate wealth and then pass on a legacy, an option that we're finally coming to acknowledge as a society has not been evenly available, right? And some people have been straight up excluded from the process, right? So how do people in those communities start to think now, specifically the Black community, about how to get to that level where they can, again, start to build wealth in a home and then pass that wealth on? Yeah, there's so many systems in place that are just continuing to move forward. Um, but I'm encouraged by the people that we still talk to that they still want to go after their dreams and they're still using tools to get to get through this. And I'll share some of them today. So yeah. before that, Pew um, Charitable Trust had a study in 2022 just to outline the magnitude of this situation. And they found that roughly 75% of white households own their home compared to only 45% of black households. That's a 29 uh, points gap. And they also show that it's growing from year to year. Um, but that doesn't deter black people, the black community from wanting to own homes, right? And desiring that in their financial future. Just the key to doing this is to putting together a clear plan, putting a clear plan in place to get there. So. One guideline that I that I share with people when I'm having these discussions is how much house can you afford? Yeah. How much house can you afford? A good rule of thumb is looking to to um, get no more than three to five times your annual income in the amount of house, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. that your house shouldn't be more than three to five times your annual income. And if you're one of those people I mentioned before that have a significant amount of debt debt that you're managing. You, you may want to scale it down so that you have a lower debt mortgage in, in general. But that's a good rule of thumb for how to move into home ownership more securely. Um, and then anyone buying a primary residence, you know, you hear this thing about you'll need a 20 percent down payment. And some people just take that information for granted and they don't do anything <laughs> until yeah. they have 20 percent or maybe they decide that's not for them. It's not always true that you need a 20% down payment to buy a home. In fact, it depends on your lender and it depends on your credit. So anyone buying a primary residence uh, with a credit score of above 580 can qualify for a 3.5 down payment uh, through the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA loan. And if you have a credit score of lower than 500 um, or as low as 500, I should say, you can qualify for a similar type of loan with just a 10% down payment. And I say that to, to say that there are, there are so many people, you, I mean, you have to live somewhere. <laughs> You're, for most of us, we're paying to live somewhere. So if it's in your financial desires or your goals to, to purchase a home, it's important to know these details so that you can use that to build wealth for yourself and for your family. And if you're planning to purchase a home within the next three years, and you're trying to save a down payment, we recommend or we suggest that you hold your down payments into a savings account systematically. So maybe you calculate how much of a down payment that you want and when you want it. You break that down by the months and you create a monthly savings plan and you go for it, right? Um, a few tips that are useful here is automation. So if you have direct deposit, it's good to go directly from your paycheck uh, to that that savings account so that you don't even have to think about it. Automation always works well. And then maybe consider an account that is not attached to where your everyday expenses are happening. 
got it. I feel like this is the the quickest 20 minutes we've spent together in a long time on this show. So thank you both for just packing it full of information. Before we go, though, I'd love it if you could each just spend a couple of minutes total talking about what you think the, the big takeaway from today's discussion was. And Naveen, we'll start with you. Sure. I think just reflecting on what we discussed earlier, right? The market rallied very strongly the last three, four months, despite some of the tough headlines out there. I would just keep that in mind as an investor. Jim and I talked about the possibility of a mild recession this year, and we'll see. That's a view, right? But things could get testy in the interim. Might see different headlines out there around politics, the economy, or other things happening around the world. And through those moments, it can feel very hard to stay disciplined and stay the course and stick to your plan. But the reason that I have seen myself, the, the long-term investor tends to meet success is because yes, they do experience volatility, but more importantly, they are there to benefit from the eventual recoveries and the good times. So that's the one thing I'd keep in mind this year for investors is it might get choppy out there, but at the end of the day with a long-term outlook, you can stay invested that might lead to a good outcome over the time. And I, and I would say when we consider the choppiness of the market, the choppiness of circumstances facing the Black community too, or anyone really. There are so many different um, impacts. The key is to having a plan. Have a plan in place for handling your debt, for handling your ability to retire, purchase a home, whatever it is that you desire, have a plan. Again, so grateful for, for your time today. Thanks for, for being with us and sharing all this fantastic information. Thank you to our audience as well. Uh, and a reminder, if you're, you're watching and listening now and interested in learning more about Fidelity's commitment to financial education in the Black community and beyond, you can visit the site that we have up on the screen right now there using that code. Uh, you'll find, again, resources, including upcoming future webinars that could help you manage your money. And as always, if you've got questions about building or updating your financial plans, like the ones uh, Randell and Naveen were truly just talking about, Fidelity is here to help. You can give us a call, go online to our website, download Fidelity's app, plenty of ways that we hope that exist for you to learn more. Again, Naveen, Randell, thank you so much for your time. Thank everybody for watching, and we hope to see you back here next week. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only, and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at that time, and may change based on market and other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the speakers, and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. This podcast is provided for your personal, non-commercial use, and is the copyright work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. To the extent any investment information in this material is deemed to be a recommendation, it is not meant to be impartial investment advice or advice in a fiduciary capacity and is not intended to be used as a primary basis for you or your client's investment decisions. Fidelity and its representatives may have a conflict of interest in the products or services mentioned in this material because they have a financial interest in them and receive compensation directly or indirectly in connection with the management, distribution, or servicing of these products or services, including including fidelity funds, certain third-party funds and products, and certain investment services. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. You cannot invest directly in an index. 
Diversification and or asset allocation do not ensure profit or protect against loss. Stock markets are volatile and can fluctuate significantly in response to company, industry, political, regulatory, market, or economic development. Investing in stock involves risk, including the loss of principal. Foreign markets can be more volatile than U.S. markets due to increased risks of adverse issuer, political, market, or economic development, all of which are magnified in emerging markets. These risks are particularly significant for investments that focus on a single country or region. In general, the bond market is volatile, and fixed income securities carry interest rate risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices usually fall and vice versa. This effect is usually more pronounced for longer-term securities. Fixed income securities also carry inflation risk, liquidity risk, haul risk, and credit and default risks for both issuers and counterparties. Lower quality fixed income securities involve greater risk of default or price changes, and a fixed income security sold or redeemed prior to maturity may be subject to loss. Fidelity Wealth Services provides non-discretionary financial planning and discretionary investment management through one or more portfolio advisory services accounts for a fee. Advisory services offered by Fidelity Personal and Workplace Advisors, LLC, FPWA, a registered investment advisor. Discretionary portfolio management services provided by Strategic Advisors, LLC, Strategic Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Brokerage services provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, FBS, and custodial and related services provided by National Financial Services, LLC, NFS, each a member NYSE and SIPC. FPWA, FBS, and NFS are Fidelity Investments Companies. Fidelity does not provide legal or tax advice. The information herein is general and educational in nature and should not be considered legal or tax advice. Tax laws and regulations are complex and subject to change, which can materially impact investment results. Fidelity cannot guarantee that the information herein is accurate, complete, or timely. Fidelity makes no warranties with regard to such information or results obtained by its use and disclaims any liability arising out of your use of or any tax position taken in reliance on such information. Consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific situation. Please carefully consider the plan's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses before investing. For this and other information on any 529 college savings plan managed by Fidelity, contact Fidelity for a free fact kit or view one online. Read it carefully before you invest or send money. Personal and workplace investment products are provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917.